For somewhere, somewhere, burns a light to lead me out into the night. It glitters icy, thin, and plain, and leads me down to Waterloo, into a warm electric train which travels sorry Surrey through, and crystal-hung, the clumps of pine stand deadly still beside the light. Robert Frost, Guilt. Lena remains at the kitchen counter. Kane sits at the dining room table. Twelve months, infidelity, table, a chair, and most of a dining room between them. She says she you vanished, vanished off the face of the earth for 12 months. months. I that deserve a better explanation, explanation than no doesn't matter. Kane doesn't answer. The script says, For the first time we see something tangible in Kane, a helplessness, a dimly understood fear. We get another angle on Kane, his profile close. In the script he says, I don't know. But the film changes it up, and the impact is bigger. Kane, does it matter? Silence. Consider the situation. Sometime before Kane went away on a mission for the last time, Lena began an affair with Daniel. Perhaps there were affairs before that, too. Perhaps this marriage just didn't last long enough for Lena to stray in more than one direction, for Kane to continue covert missions from which he might never return. Prior to this minute, we have only seen their relationship in positive terms. Photographs with smiles, a flashback to a joyful moment in bed. But that one photo in particular, Kane with his fellow soldiers in the desert, might be one of the many times Kane was gone and Lena was left alone. That joyful moment in bed, we will see later, is part of a scene that is really not that joyful. Annihilation is, in various ways, about self-destruction. At the heart of the film is this dissolving marriage, and it is absolutely vital that what we see of it first is good. We cannot invest in it if it begins strained. But now, just minute ten, we can see how troubled it was. Is. Kane returned to an immediate embrace but that feeling could not hold. And yet, it is Lena's infidelity that we will explicitly see later. This juxtaposition, that she is the one interrogating Cain and not the other way around. The situation, the relationship, is more complicated, more nuanced, than one side wronged the other. MayoClinic.org says of infidelity, quote, Infidelity isn't a single, clearly defined situation. And what's considered infidelity varies among couples and even between partners in a relationship. For example, is an emotional connection without physical intimacy considered infidelity? What about online relationships? Individuals and couples need to define for themselves what constitutes infidelity in the context of their marriage. End quote. Lena and Kane each stepped out on their marriage. She to Daniel, he to covert missions. It is hard to be happy when it takes effort. It is hard to be happy with another person when you cannot be happy yourself. And the specific, explicit reasons that Lena or Kane might not be happy themselves do not matter in Annihilation. No matter how happy or unhappy you think you are, we can all certainly relate to the possibility and the reality of unhappiness, of trying to put on a better face when venturing out into the world of other people, of lying to ourselves sometimes more than we lie to others, 
just to get out of bed in the morning. Perhaps I am projecting, but it feels like a universal truth that most, if not all of us, are, have been, or will be unhappy. Still, like that wonderful opening line to Anna Karenina, all happy families are alike, each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Each individual might also be unhappy in their own way. But we need a little vagueness here. It is still early in the film. We do not even know yet that Lena had her affair with Daniel. We do not know where Kane has been or what he has been doing. We are only on Lena's side in this particular exchange because, by cinematic standards, we've followed her for multiple minutes now. She must be our protagonist and Kane does not have much to say for or about himself. And whether the gulf between them comes from some outside influence, it does, or some influence within their coupling, it also does. In this scene, we should see it just beneath the surface. This is not the first time that Lena or Kane has questioned the other about where they've been. Still, all hope is not lost. J. Kent Ferraro, PhD, MBA, writing for Psychology Today, 23rd May, 2011, explains, quote, The fact is that your ability to save the relationship has less to do with the circumstances of the affair and much more to do with the responses to it by both people involved. Marriages don't end because of infidelity. They end because of how infidelity is dealt with. The real question is, how do you define love? And is your definition of love large enough to encompass profound failure? The only limitations on love are those we place on it, either that of the imagination or lack of, in this case, where possibility is foreclosed on due to overwhelming emotion that is not as well managed as it can be. What does Lena expect of Cain here? Given what we will know about this Cain later, what does he expect of Lena? Or of himself? Does he have expectations at all? Does it matter? So much more meaning packed into that than one more I don't know. Does it matter? If these two cannot be happy together, if being apart by push or by pull alters them or reifies them, does an explanation even matter? Experts regarding infidelity might say it would help, but this film takes the more dour, pessimistic angle. Plus, this either is not Kane, or is a substantially altered Kane, and he probably cannot see a future here with Lena even if he was drawn to their home. Kane is lit harshly, his eyes in shadow. His clothes are dark, his hair slicked back. He does not appear a man looking for intimacy, but more a menacing figure. He will turn out to be something in between, something, at least for now, much more tragic. Back to the script. As we angle on Lena, second five. As Lena suddenly understands, her husband is profoundly damaged. His body has returned to her, but not his mind. Second eleven, angle through doorway again, Kane at the table. Lena comes into view from the left. She takes a seat opposite him at the table, then takes his hand. He doesn't resist. Interestingly, despite the wording in the script, she reaches for Kane's hand before she actually sits down. Second twenty-one, the metaphor shot. Lena's hands on Kane's hand, but refracted, reversed through the water glass. Whose hands are touching whose? And the music here, 
Like the peaceful music over the meteor striking the lighthouse is deliberately wrong. It is creepy. And this image should be reassuring. In the novel, Annihilation, the biologist describes her husband, quote, Part of my husband's life had been defined by nightmares he'd had as a child. These debilitating experiences had sent him to a psychiatrist. They involved a house and a basement and the awful crimes that had occurred there. But the psychiatrist had ruled out suppressed memory, and he was left at the end with just trying to draw the poison by keeping a diary about them. Then, as an adult at university a few months before he joined the Navy, he had gone to a classic film festival. And there, up on the big screen... My future husband had seen his nightmares acted out. It was only then that he realized the television set must have been left on at some point when he was only a couple of years old, with that horror movie playing. The splinter in his mind never fully dislodged, disintegrated into nothing. He said that was the moment he knew he was free, but it was from then on that he left behind the shadows of his childhood, because it had all been an illusion, a fake, a forgery, a scrawling across his mind that had falsely made him go in one direction when he had been meant to go in another. I've had a kind of dream for a while now, he confessed to me the night he told me he had agreed to join the 11th expedition. A new one, and not really a nightmare this time. In these dreams, he floated over a pristine wilderness, as if from the vantage point of a marsh hawk. And the feeling of freedom is indescribable. It's as if you took everything from my nightmares and reversed it. As the dreams progressed and repeated, they varied in their intensity and their viewpoint. Some nights he swam through the marsh canals. Others he became a tree or a drop of water. Everything he experienced refreshed him. Everything he experienced made him want to go to Area X. Although he couldn't tell me much, he confessed that he already had met several times with people who recruited for the expeditions. That he had talked to them for hours. That he knew this was the right decision. It was an honor. Not everyone was taken. Some were rejected and others lost the thread along the way. Still others, I pointed out to him, must have wondered what they had done after it was too late. All I understood of what he called Area X at the time came from the vague official story of environmental catastrophe, along with rumors and sideways whispers. Danger? I'm not sure this crossed my mind so much as the idea that my husband had just told me he wanted to leave me, and had withheld the information for weeks. I was not yet privy to the idea of hypnosis or reconditioning, so it did not occur to me that he might have been made suggestible during his meetings. My response was a profound silence as he searched my face for what he thought he hoped to find there. He turned away, sat on the couch, while I poured myself a very large glass of wine and took the chair opposite him. We remained that way for a long time. A little later, he started to talk again about what he knew of Area X, about how his work right now wasn't fulfilling, how he needed more of a challenge. But I wasn't really listening. I was thinking about my mundane job. I was thinking about the wilderness. I was wondering why I hadn't done something like he was doing now, dreaming of another place and how to get there. In that moment, I couldn't blame him, not really. Didn't I sometimes go off on field trips for my job? I might not be gone for months, but in principle it's the same thing. The arguing came later, when it became real to me. But never pleaded. I never begged him to stay. I couldn't do that. Perhaps he even thought that going away would save our marriage, that somehow it would bring us closer together. I don't know. I have no clue. Some things I will never be good at. End quote. Second 25, she speaks. Lena, off screen. Kane. How did you get now? Second 30, angled through the doorway. 
Lena is entirely in view, but Kane, for now, is still partly blocked by the doorframe. The camera tracks forward. Second 32, Kane looks toward camera, toward the front of the house, which makes the open kitchen door a little strange, actually. If Kane did come in through the front door, Kane, I was outside. Lena, outside the house. house. Kane, no. He pauses, briefly. But knowing this is a strange science fiction film, maybe we are speculating. Outside reality? Outside our dimension? Outside our universe? Kane continued. No, no it's outside the room. The room, the room with the bed. Angle on Lena, second 45. Her confusion grows. Kane continued. The door was open. I saw, saw you. Second 55. Angle on Kane. Kane continued. I recognized you. And time runs out for this minute. I dived into your eyes, wanting to be baptized. I could not see past lies. I could not see past seven feet marker signs. Refraction is the succubus giving birth to stillborn dreams. So now I close my eyes and bow my broken neck, because I could not see from on high that water was ten miles wide, but only two inches deep. Byung-Yin Yu, Refracted Dreams. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation. 